Hi, my name's Bree, and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I have a lot of questions. Who are you people? No, really, who are you? That's a great question, Bree. That's like a crazy loaded question. Ooh, that is a great question. It's an interesting question. That's probably a really good question. Ooh, that's an excellent question, Miss Bree. Oh, that's a deep question. It's a good question. <laughs> it's like, what is the meaning of life? Fuck if I know. Any more questions? Oh, yeah, Bree? I have a lot of them. I've never been asked that question before. Does anyone really know? Well, I'm here to find out. I'm Bree, and this is the Bree Search Project. Hi, this was a very special interview for me. My guest today is Deborah West. She is an African-American teacher in Alabama with a 30-year career in education. She navigated integration as a student in Philadelphia and then counseled an entire community through integrating the public school system in Alabama, and she led by example. I had the privilege of experiencing most of my formative years as her student, and having not spoken to her in nearly 20 years, I thoroughly enjoyed reconnecting with her and found the same kindness, wisdom, and joy that I remember growing up with. Welcome to class. Your teacher today is Miss Deborah West. Okay. So I usually start out by by asking people to like imagine we're in their most comfortable place, having a chat, a fireside chat convo. Um, and I don't know, I usually ask like, what are we drinking? Where are we? What are we doing? Um, what's your beverage of choice? But I don't even know if you drink. I feel like I, I'm one of the people that gets to have the chance to be asking my elementary school teacher <laughs> what her beverage of choice is. So. Well, usually I, I like mixed drinks, you know, and I only do that on occasions, you know, when we right. go out or something like that. But yeah, I don't, you know, usually... Um, just drink, but I I'll, I like sweet <laughs> mixed drinks, or I'll do a margarita every once in a while. Oh, the girly drinks! Yeah, yeah, yeah. My husband looks at me like, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes that's just what you need. Sometimes you don't grow out of it. You just uh, drink Long Island iced teas for forever. <laughs> so. I guess this this is one of the most interesting interviews I've gotten to do, seeing as how it's one of the longest relationships I think I have in my whole life, uh, and also one of the most influential, because there's not a lot of people who you can say have been like a constant presence in, in your formative years. Um, and I was trying to think about it today. You've known me since I was probably six or seven years old, until... Yeah. I moved away when I was 17. So I, my perception uh, is 20 years old and from a child's perspective. <laughs> um, so I'm interested to hear your memories and your point of view for my entire childhood. Um, and we haven't spoken in a long time. So I'm looking forward to catching up. Miss um, mm -hmm. Deborah West, who are you? Well, I'm retired. Uh, this is my first year. I retired in July of uh um, last year, 2019. And um, I was uh, at ASFL for 13 years, and then I went to AAA for 10. 
ASFL being the Academy for Science and Foreign Language in Huntsville, Alabama, and AAA being the Academy for Academics and Arts, both magnet schools in the Huntsville area. Where I taught third grade and I was the reading coach. Then I became an assistant principal at Chapman uh, Middle School, and I became a principal uh, seven years ago at uh, Weatherly Heights Elementary. So um, I uh, retired as a retired principal of an elementary wow. school through uh, fifth grade. It was just, it was a wonderful experience um, because I could really put my whole vision, my what I envisioned that a school should be and, and really try to make that uh, a reality. So that was really a wonderful way to kind of end a 30-year career in education. Yeah, really. There's not much more you could ask uh, yeah. than that. You've had a lot of experience um, kind of cultivating that vision of, of an idyllic kind of school. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, let's see. I... I don't want to go too far back into how long ago this was <laughs> that I was in school. Um, but do you have any specific memories of like kid Brie? I mean, you you got to watch me from second grade through high school. So, uh, you know, I, I remember you just being very outgoing, uh, very vocal um, and very friendly. And I think the kids, you know, really, uh, I think you, they liked you. I think I, you were very, you were a leader. You were not a follower. Um, <laughs> you, you, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and you were, you were absolutely de- delightful. You were, um, you were very intelligent and you were, you, you could, you could speak on a more mature level than a lot of uh, students that, were your age and you were like that from a, a small child. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about you know, <laughs> I mean you could really hold a conversation with adults. Yeah. I I remember <laughs> I remember that. Um not much has changed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I want to go back to the beginning, uh like kind of how you came up in your experience in education, did you like school? No. As a matter really? Of, no, 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 no. I, I was a, 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 well, I came through in the 60s, the early 60s, and I struggled. I was a, a struggling learner. Um, and uh, I think a lot of it was that uh, living in the suburbs of Philadelphia in the 60s, um, we moved uh, to North Hills and had to integrate an all white, uh, elementary school. So I was the only African American student and, um, and I couldn't read. Um, but, uh, and I really couldn't do math or even simple. I couldn't write. I couldn't even, uh, write. And, uh, when I got to fifth grade and this is all the way through fifth grade, Um, And I sat very quietly and the teachers more or less kind of ignored me and just let me, you know, just kind of fade into the background. But when I got to fifth grade, there was a young teacher. um, And I believe, you know, when I look back at it, she she just had to have graduated from from college. And she took me aside and she said 
she said, Debbie, you cannot read. And I'm going to make sure that you can read. And she made me stay in for recess and PE and everything else. And she worked with me one-on-one and she taught me how to read. She taught me simple uh, math and she taught me how to write. I was, I had used to hold my paper upside down. I don't know if I was dyslexic. Something wasn't right. But she caught me up in one year. And if it weren't for her, I don't know what would have happened to me. And that was a really big influence in my life. My sisters were extremely smart and I just struggled and I don't know, but there was something wrong. I don't know what it was, but she, whatever it was, she connected with it. And um, I was able to uh, catch up five years in one year. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. I was in that one of my later questions was who had the biggest impact on on the person you've become, but that sounds like it may be this teacher. Oh yeah. And and I think that's why I had such a passion for uh teaching and that every child, you know, I really felt it was important and that they could learn if it was just, you know, um presented in a way that they could get it. Mhm. Mm-hmm. How did you get into teaching? Well, you know, I wanted, I thought I was going to go into accounting and I I did my, I got married at 20 years old and I had my first child at 21. So I was very young. I married my high school sweetheart. We met in ninth grade. So it, you know, um, and I really uh, was uh, going to be a professional singer. I sang professionally with my sisters for about three years before I got married at 20. And uh, we were traveling all around and uh, doing things. But then when I got married and everything, I, I came off of the road and I went to school. We went, I went to um, a local um, two-year college and I was going for business administration and accounting. And I really enjoyed it. And I said, okay, this is great. You know, I'll um, be an accountant. But um, when my husband and I moved to Huntsville, Alabama, and we were going to Oakwood College, um, and um, I was going to uh, finish my last two years in accounting, and he was going into the ministry. And uh, what happened, She, uh, he was going and he was getting all registered. And I had, by then, I had four small children and the youngest was Robert and Robert was six months old at that time. (laughs) And I had the four of them and we were sitting there and I was reading to the children and trying to keep them occupied while we were trying to get registered. And this lady uh, walked up to me and she said, hi, she said, "Um, are you going to register for class? I said, yes. She said, are these your children? And I said, yes. And I introduced her to the children. And she said, "Um, well, what are you going to major in? And I said, oh, I'm going to major in accounting. I said, I'm going to try to be a certified public accountant in business. So she said, well, she said, I want you to know that the Lord told me to come over here and tell you that you are supposed to go into elementary education. (laughs) Wow. 
So we looked at her like, I said, do you see me with these four small children? Do you think I look like I want to go into elementary education? I want more of them? (laughs) And I looked at her, I said, oh, no, 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 (laughs) no. So I was sitting there and I was thinking about what she said and... And I, and I looked at the children. I kept thinking about it. I said, elementary education. I said, elementary. I said, no, 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 no. I don't think I want to go into elementary education. So my husband came back maybe about 30 or 40 minutes. And he said, Debbie, the business uh, uh, is over there. They are all set up. He's trying to show me where to go. And he's trying to tell me how to, you know, what he did. And, and I said, so I said, well, Don, I said, I think I'm going to change my <laughs> to elementary education. And he looked at me and he said, elementary education? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, I- I'll explain it to you later. So he just shook his head and he, he just watched the kids. So I walked over to the uh, education and there was Dr. Bliss. And she smiled and she said, hi. She says, my name is Francis and I'm going to be your advisor. And um, that is how I got into elementary education. (laughs) Wow. Oh, yeah, I had no intentions of doing that. So I really feel like it was calling. Yeah, literally. And Mm -hmm. it it probably helped if you were already running like a small daycare out of your own home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so how has your perception and your experience with education developed over a 30-year career? I mean, just in, in my education alone, there's been a lot of changes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it changes quite a bit. You know, they'll, they'll, you know, it has changed. I mean, when I first started, I had never worked outside of the home. So I was a stay-at-home mother. So it was a big, big transition for me to uh, start uh, working outside of the home. It was very difficult. But um, I I really had to work uh, very hard because ASFL was just a lot different than what you would call traditional um, elementary school. And, um, you know, it was very, you know, it was very innovative and way beyond most, uh, schools that, you know, if I had gone to a traditional setting. So, um, but it was exciting because it was very challenging for me and the students, we had such a wide variety of students. We had a lot of extremely bright students. And when, um, When I first got there in 89, uh, they had just started the middle school. And to have uh, white students come from all over the city to that school and and go to school with African-American students for the first time and African-Americans sitting in class with uh, white students in a middle school setting was very challenging. And I had to work really hard at building relationships and trust with the students and the parents so that that would even work, you know, uh, to get it, you know, going. So in 89, uh, I think for about three to five years, it was very, very hard because uh, the the population had never really even um, worked together before. 
Yeah, there was nothing. There was nothing like that. And yeah, I nothing. I and I want to talk about magnet schools and, and ASFL and, and kind of Huntsville in general. Um, I feel like I had a very, very unique experience growing up, um, one that I didn't grow to appreciate until I was out of it and realized how different it was mm-hmm. um, because ASFL was at the forefront of a lot of experimental learning and, and mm-hmm. that had a lot to do with Huntsville and Redstone Arsenal and NASA and kind of, you know, that whole community, but it was still, even for the area, kind of unheard of. Mm-hmm. And it was also very unique because the school, when I was there, it was first through eighth grade. And I think they added kindergarten after that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you're able to build relationships over literally like the most crucial time for learning and for maturing you're there from like five to 15 years old and I think that's like when these kids like actually become people you know like a a, not not many other times in your education are there that big of you know developments and changes going on and for you to be in the same place with uh, I mean people coming in and out but with essentially the same group of people I think there were 21 of us by the time I left eighth grade that stayed the entire time right Uh, that's a massive thing. And it's, it's something that I, you, you didn't realize when you were in it because I was in it, you know, but mm-hmm. after the fact, you kind of realize how rare and unique that experience was as mm-hmm. well as the curriculum that they're teaching. Like we were learning language and science and computers and space and uh, you know, advanced learning every day, like, like math and science and history, we were learning French, you know, like mm-hmm. it was, bizarre at the time but just felt kind of normal so I want to talk about magnet schools um in general and kind of ASFL and AAA and then and then also the segregation aspect of kind of melding those communities together because again I was so young Mm -hmm. I feel like I had a very unique experience of kind of growing up colorblind in a way that it seemed normal Mm -hmm. to me like that that kind of community seemed normal to me and it wasn't until later it wasn't until I left that that I realized kind of how unique and special that experience Mm -hmm. was yes I I think that coming from the north and having to come south really was a, a, a big transition for me right because even though I did have to integrate um uh a all an all white uh school it, they didn't have to have soldiers and, and, and police officers escort me, right. although it wasn't, you know, always the friendliest and the best situation. But, um, you know, it, and, and, and really the North felt like, OK, we're so far, uh, you know, advanced in this area as the South. But in re- realization, it really wasn't. You, I mean, you didn't have the soldiers and all that, but yet there was this still... Uh, you know, this wall that was up. And I, and I think that, you know, that's the reason that um, I was able to come in. And I knew that if I did not have a close relationship with the adults in that building and show that I, as an African-American, respect and love, you know, my team members, uh, that the children would not be able to 
really see the adults also. And I think Miss Conley. Miss Conley was our African-American principal who was on the forefront of so much of this progress and was also one of the most elegant women I've ever seen. Um, being the head of that and, and, and making us all aware of all that stuff really, you know, it has to start with the top and, and then it has to, you know, dwindle down to the teachers and then the students. Absolutely. You know, and I think that uh, once we got to the students that had been in the school in the elementary years, it was so much easier, but it was very difficult when you try to bring a middle school, sixth, seventh, and eighth grader into a school. And, um, you know, when they're not used to being one another, they don't trust one another. They don't uh, feel comfortable around one another. And that was the work. That was some really hard work. I can see that for sure, because I can imagine that, like, like I said, the kids that we started from the get go, um, mm -hmm. us coming up is is a different thing than kind of indoctrinating students who aren't used to it, you know, so. Right. And yeah. I imagine that an additional challenge was we had kids coming in and out every year. Right. And because Huntsville is such like a melting pot community of scientists and astronauts and you know people coming in and out that you had to kind of start from scratch a little bit every time granted mm -hmm. there was there was you know consistently a group of us that were moving forward but it wasn't the same kids every year it was changing kind of as we went all along mm -hmm. um i think one of the things for me that kind of made that the most clear was when I was older, when I got into the middle school system, um, our, like I said, like my elementary school experience was great, but it is kind of a bubble. Like ASFL is, ASFL is the Academy for Science and Foreign Languages in Huntsville, Alabama. There are two magnet schools. The other one is the Academy for Academics and Arts mm -hmm. and magnet schools by definition um, are you probably have a better, more concise definition for this, but they bring students uh, from all different areas of town to one school to kind of focus on whatever the subjects of learning. Mm -hmm. Well, they, they had to have uh, attract students from other areas so that uh, the integration, because the Huntsville was under a... Uh, a federal mandate to, to desegregate. And it's been all 50 years. They've told that they needed to, de you know, to. Um, right. Yeah. And the way that back, you know, in 89 and, and before they did it through the magnet school program. Wow. And that was, that meant that they were doing something special, a little more, like you said, the foreign language, the, the, uh, the arts, uh, uh, they, that the parents would be attracted to the curriculum enough that they would be willing to drive or to have their children bus right. for that very special program. So you had to work hard, you know, as a, a teacher or an instructor in that program in order to keep those children from going back to there. You had to have more than that, what they would get in their neighborhood school. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest, the first time I really got an understanding of that was when I, we moved to the middle school, um, section of the school and we had more interaction with Davis Hills. 
Davis Hills was the neighboring middle school, which had not been integrated and whose students suffered from poverty and delinquency. And there were multiple incidences of violence on campus. Mm-hmm. Which really kind of showcased for me just how different my experience was. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it was always, I mean, even, even when I was younger, it was always like, don't go over there, you know, (laughs) very very middle school, don't go to that side of the campus. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And you know, when I had to go and be an assistant principal at Chapman, it was like being in a totally different country. I felt like I was in, I didn't even know that Huntsville even had, you know, I knew Davis Hills, you know, you know, from afar. Right. But I had no idea of the inequitable uh, things that were going on and the stuff that was going on in some of these schools. I I mean, it was eye-opening, but it was something that I'm glad I experienced because I would have never known just being in the magnet schools. I I worked in both of them. Right, right. Yeah, you moved to um, to AAA after ASFL. Did you Mm -hmm. find any glaring differences between them or more of the differences between the regular school systems and the magnet schools? Well, I I think that, um, well, when Ms. Conley um, retired and uh, they got a new administrator, she, I just didn't agree with the way she was, uh, the, what she was doing and had, you know, we, we had worked so hard on triple HP and she didn't want to do that anymore. And she didn't want to do, a lot of the wonderful things that really we had built and worked very hard on. So that's why I decided, I said, oh, I think I need to go. I mean, cause this is just, you know, I, I just didn't, our two philosophies were clashing and it, right. it, it, it very unhappy. So I decided um, to go ahead and transfer and, and, and Mr. Brown, uh, who was the principal at AAA said, Debbie, you know, you know, I'd love to have you. So, I mean, I, was able to transfer over there without any problem. Uh, the big difference was once, and you know, I, I, I often would think of you, Bree. I think you would have done very well at AAA. As a matter of fact, I think that would have been a perfect fit for you. Um, just knowing you, you know, I think it would have been, uh, and although I think we did a lot of innovative things at ASFL, but I think AAA would have been perfect because you were very animated and you were very outgoing. And I think the stage and all that would have really been a, I thought I would think of you quite often when I would watch the programs and the kids. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. And I think that was one of the biggest things that I kind of, I, I realized that more once I got to Lee because I went on a vocal performance track um, when I when I joined the Magnet at Lee um, and kind of everybody there was AAA kids already. And so I felt right. behind already. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't know French, but <laughs> I, didn't know, right. I didn't know a lot of the things that I would have gotten at the art school. So I'm sure it would have changed my track. I had a lot of um, you know, regret about that growing up, but also I feel like I got experiences at ASFL that, you know, I wouldn't have had otherwise. Oh, yeah, yeah. Both schools uh, were very were excellent, but I'm telling you, I would often think of you, and this I know you 
would find that hard to believe. I said, you know what, Bree would have really done well at this school because the kids would dance through the halls and they were singing and, you know, constantly, you know, oh, you would have loved it. You would have loved it. <laughs> I'm I'm sure that I would. I uh I wish I could go back in a lot of ways. <laughs> um you find that like incorporating languages and art into the curriculum makes a big difference in the way kids learn? Yes. And I think that uh the reason I think that both AAA and uh ASFL their unique programs I think uh give our both schools uh, gave their students an advantage and although AAA you know it was a lot of singing and dancing and movement and up and down and once again those kind of children need that movement need that they learn well they learn that way right um and right. and and then when you go to ASFL uh, with the science and the math and the language, you know, the foreign language and the children learning it from the time they're in kindergarten. I mean, it's it's just amazing that, you know, children are getting those kind of experiences. And um, as I said, I think it was the reason that the children uh, were so successful after leaving those two programs. Yeah, I I agree. And I think a lot of a lot of that has a lot to do with um, the things you go on to study and the kind of experiences mm -hmm. you had. And I think to your point, I was much more well fit for AAA. That would have been my wheelhouse to be kind yeah. of in the performance track. Oh yeah. And but it was interesting, kind of not kind of having to stretch my my legs in a different way at ASFL, which were were not my strong suits. You know, mm -hmm. like not mm -hmm. my not my choices for what I <laughs> what I would focus on if I had to uh, make the choices myself. But mm -hmm. that's that's a different kind of progress, I mm -hmm. guess. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to talk about I wanted to talk about some of the programs that you implemented in the school systems. I know from second grade was the reading program and i think correct me if i'm wrong i was the first class that was team teaching the team teaching experiment mm -hmm. i had all four of you guys so can you touch on kind of mm. what those programs were and how you developed them well when we uh worked as a team uh, we would uh, sit down, we had to plan together and they wanted like, say for instance, we would take the science and the math curriculum and try to make sure that we were implementing those standards into the reading and the writing and um, the, you know, the research and the social studies and everything. I taught the language arts and the reading and language, you know, part of it and social studies. And I had to work very closely with my team to make sure that I was integrating or bringing, you know, that the same standards that they were teaching in the math and the uh, science. So, you know, once again, it, it made it, uh, you know, you had to work very closely together. Uh, you, um, you know, you really had to understand exactly, you know, what the kids needed to really the information and how you could incorporate that into your uh, instruction. 
Right. And it was such a, it was such an effective way of not only teaching subjects, but teaching kids. Cause we all knew mm-hmm. that you, you were connected. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I also want to touch on probably one of the most like inspirational relationships I've encountered in my lifetime was watching you and Sandra Montgomery my entire childhood from second grade on. And I just always thought that you guys worked so well together and were such an interesting pair. <laughs> and you had this yeah. like, genuine affection for each other that I thought was so cute. Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, Sandra and I are best friends today. Uh, that makes I, me so happy. We are very close today. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, she is one of the most wonderful uh, human beings I've ever met. She's a very special person. Um, and uh, Sandra and I are, I mean, we stay in constant contact. I mean, uh, she is one person that um, I remain very close with. Oh, mm-hmm. that's good. That makes yeah. me happy to mm-hmm. hear because you you guys were lovely. Yeah, it was it was wonderful. I learned so much from her. Uh, she had a lot of uh, things that she brought to the table. And uh, I brought a lot of the creative uh, energy to the team. Each one of us had our own um, uh, strengths you know, and, you know, and weaknesses, but you know, uh, it was wonderful working with Sandra because she really, really helped me. And I don't think I would have been the administrator, uh, that I, I, I ended up being, if it weren't for her organization, she used to say, now Debbie, we have to do this and we have to do that. And, (laughs) you know, I mean, I learned a lot from her. I learned a lot from Sandra. I did too, for a bunch of years. Yeah. (laughs) Um, can we talk about uh, Triple HP and mm-hmm. what that is and when it came to be? I again, I think I was at the beginning of that with the cemetery. Uh, God, it was nineteen ninety five. We started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell everybody what that is and what the project was? And you'll have to fill me in on if there's been any updates. I'm sure there have since <laughs> since I left. Well, that was the Alabama African American Historic Project that Miss Conley really uh, envisioned and and brought to the school. And what it was is that she found the oldest city-owned African American cemetery in the city, and it was no, it was not being uh, kept up. There was no history. Nothing was written down. There was no African-American history in Huntsville. We did our Huntsville was, uh, I think, a third grade curriculum. But there were no African-Americans included in that uh, curriculum. So Miss Conley uh, took it upon herself to say that we were going to find out this history. So she came to the middle school, which was sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and told us that we were going to go into this cemetery and we were going to write down this history. And I, I was like, I don't even know how you go about doing any of that. And she says, oh, I know how to do this. So she sat us all down and, and told us, you know, and then she said, but I want the children to do it. I want them to find this history and to write it down. And then I want it to be uh, 
finally adopted into the curriculum of our Huntsville. And um, when we went to that cemetery, the grass was so tall and the the headstones were broken. And I mean, it was like, I was, I was like, Miss Conley, are you kidding me? Oh, you got that out of your mind. And um, she worked extremely hard and she got this city to come in and cut that grass. And she told them we were doing this and everything. And uh, when we started with the first class, uh, it was the one thing that it was, I cannot explain, uh, it was such a wonderful, wonderful project because, first of all, it really integrated all the subjects, right. uh, math, it was science, it was history, it was writing, it was reading, I mean, uh, it, research, I mean, it was everything, it was everything, and we could um, go into that cemetery, all she had to do was look at the name and look at the birth dates. And then you ha had to go from there. And then we had to find relatives or we had to go through these old newspapers and we would go into the, um, the library and, 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 and go microfish. microfish and go through all these things. And the children were so into it, so intrigued. And, and we could take the kids by car and we would just leave campus and just do this research. And once we got a lot of the research done, then we traveled all over the country and presented this. Yes. Nobody was doing this. Yeah. This is how innovative this project was. Nobody. And we, it was service learning. And we would, um, she made me the coordinator of it. And I got $120,000 over about seven or eight years so that we could go to these national service learning um, conference oh, yeah. and the children would present and we flew all over the country showing the black history of Huntsville and and eventually it was adopted into our Huntsville that we you know the all the research those children did all the wonderful things you would not believe the wonderful African Americans that were uh, right there in Huntsville that never were even spoken of, it was never written down. So it was uh, one of, I, I'll have to say it was the best uh, experience I ever had in education doing service learning in Triple H. That, it, it's, I agree. It's by far one of the most unique experiences that I've ever had. And if I could, if the memories that I have from that time, I was, it started when I was in fifth grade. The, the number, if I could tally the number of weekends I spent of my like, you know, 12 to 13, 11 to 13 year old self, I spent weekends in a cemetery tracing graves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. normal kids are out like <laughs> playing roller skating mm -hmm. and I'm in the graveyard. Tracy, and I'm perfectly happy about it. <laughs> and then the microfish, like I learned how to use microfish, which mm -hmm. isn't even, I don't even know what that is anymore, mm -hmm. but we had film slides. We would sit in the library for hours pulling up these old, old, old newspaper articles. Mm -hmm. I remember I was in, I think, I think it was the first, I went to all three service learning conferences when I was in school, but I think the first one was Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I taught a class 
on Jumping the Broom, mm-hmm. which is an African-American pastime about marriage. Yes. And again, at the time, we are in such an interesting you know, school community and doing all these new fantastic things that it didn't ring any different to me that I would be up at somewhere. And like you said, I was a precocious kid, <laughs> but, but uh, that I would be up there, you know, doing a lecture on whatever this we had learned. And then it wasn't until much later that I was like, oh yeah, I taught a seminar mm-hmm. at a national service learning conference when I was in the sixth grade. Like mm-hmm. I'm 11 years old <laughs> up in front of adults yes. and I'm teaching them about, you know, African-American history in Alabama and the questions we used to get. And I think this may be when I remember very specifically sitting in the cafeteria and I was eating like a dumb, dumb lollipop. And you told us a story about your time in Philly and some kind of racial tension that happened but we were talking about all the questions that people asked us in minneapolis like do you wear shoes to school mm-hmm. do you all wear the same three books do you have paved streets and and a lot of them were jokes but some of them weren't mm-hmm. and that was the first time that i we were doing this project right which is a specific thing unto itself but then to kind of experience the perception yes of Alabama and Alabama schools in a totally different context. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I'd ever experienced that, that I was like, you can't be serious. Like, that's what you actually perceive this as. And yes. a lot of these people were like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not kidding. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. They would ask me, do these children really get along? Are they really allowed to uh, work out? I'm looking at them like, yes, this is real. I mean, this is not, we're not like putting on a show here. This is real. <laughs> You're right. I couldn't even believe that intelligence, even there were any intelligent beings in Alabama, let alone that the children are sitting there teaching them something. Teaching them something uh, and, and communicating with each other more effectively. Right. Than, and and communicating with each other in a very respectful and, and loving. I mean, you guys really developed uh, deep uh, relationships, you know. Absolutely. You know, just like, you know, you were saying with Sandra and myself, I mean, friendships, you know, I mean, and and they just, they could, they could not even imagine that coming out of Alabama. What do you think the perception versus reality is like for people who, who think about Alabama as an education district? I I still think they feel Alabama, uh, Mississippi, you know, I think they still feel like, you know, uh, Kentucky, they're backwards. You know, I think they think that they're ignorant. And I think that uh, uh, I think there still is that perception to this day. I really do. Yeah. Do you think that how or where you were raised influences the way you interact with like the rest of the world? I, I do, because I've had this very unique, singular experience, yeah. but you kind of get to see how how it affects hundreds of children yeah yeah i think that huntsville is a very unique place in alabama i mean you're not going to find huntsville anywhere else in alabama right huntsville is uh an international city that also has three universities and and a community i mean it's just a, a wonderful wonderful place but uh is it's not going to be your typical uh, experience that you have in Alabama. Absolutely. I had, I had 
a hard time trying to explain that to people as well. It's like, I w- oh, you went to school in Alabama, you must be a redneck hick. And I was like, actually, the school that I went to is probably the most <laughs> advanced uh, elementary education you could ask for yeah. in a lot of different ways. And I mean, I think about like you touched on earlier, I was extremely involved in a lot of mm-hmm. things, but the amount of stuff going on, like aside from the projects and the service learning and the curriculum, there was like these cultural extravaganzas and, you know, weekends of of trips and all sorts of mm-hmm. things that were just constantly happening that kids don't really get yes. the chance to experience. Yeah. We built a greenhouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We built a greenhouse and a pond. And a pond. <laughs> yeah. Dug the pond up. I mean, and then we had rabbits that hopped through the hallway. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And ducks. And I learned I mean, about spelunking when I was in the sixth grade. <laughs> How many kids can say that? Yeah. Like... Just bizarre. It was a cool place. It really, really was. It was. And I think also because you're there so long, you're there with the same kids. And we really did build relationships because I feel I feel to this day that like the relationships I built at ASFL are are those kind of friendships that you don't have to talk that you don't have to go back and have constant communication do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. I I feel more close to so many of the people that I went to school with like their family to me mm-hmm. and like they know mm-hmm. me in such a different way than anyone mm-hmm. that I begin to interact with now mm-hmm. we we know each other on such a different more intimate level because of because of how we came up and like yeah I was I was in between Debbie and Robert so I was in between two of your kids who were my friends yeah and, and really Debbie and Robert would have done very well at AAA too I mean but I think that you still got a lot of creative and uh you still got a lot of great things at ASFL um because you could get on stage and you did present and you were able to, you know, I mean, it still was all there, but it just was in a, a different uh, kind of format than just being learning, you know, stage right, uh, you know, this step, you know, right, this right, is right. this choral singing, you know, you got all that, but it just was a, a, a different, you know. Um, yeah, I got to do plays too, but they were in French. Mm-hmm. And then that was a whole different right. challenge. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Of having to, uh, having to do them in a different language. Um, how have kids changed in the last 30 years? Um, I think what has changed, uh, you know, it, it's really funny because, you know, when we were at um, ASFL, we had a lot of students that were autistic or um, uh, had a lot of those uh, behaviors that everyone started getting, but we didn't have the labels and you, you didn't have the, you know, the IEP to help them, you know, but we had a lot of that. I think that um, and and mostly if they had if they were autistic or they had Asperger's or anything like that, they would send them to ASFL. You know, they would their the homeschool would say, you know what, I think that child would do very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really bright. 
but yet they had really, you know, and then you, the, the other children had to really accept those differences. So not only were you accepting differences as far as culturally, but just, you know, behaviors and, and, uh, yeah. you know, and, and the way they interact and, and some of them were just very, very strange children. And I mean, you guys had to have all of that, you know, in your class and you grew up with them as little. So you loved them and accepted them and their little quirks or whatever they had, yeah. you know. So there are some names that I'm thinking of very specifically. I know exactly <laughs> who you're talking about. <laughs> scenarios. But I'm just like, we just kind of learned to just let to, it go. It wasn't, you knew that was them. That was just them. Yeah. I think that there's more of that across the board. You know, just, it was just rare. You know, you might have one or two, but I mean, there's a lot of autism. There's a lot of Asperger's. There's a lot of, you know, children that, um, you know, have behavior problems. Also, the family um, is not as, uh, what, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but when I was a, I had no idea as a principal, you, you really, uh, are privy to knowing everybody in that building pretty much. And if there's a problem in a family or anything like that, you know, it because it, it, it's in the school, but, um, there's a lot of, uh, mental illness in, um, uh, children, but because the parents have the mental illness and then there's the drug addictions and then there's just uh, uh, a lot that society has is broken down and the children are just in, in with a very young age coming in with problems and, and things that are just horrific. And the teachers are having to... You know, and then with the special ed, with children with all kind of different behaviors and stuff that are being put into the classrooms, and it's everywhere now. You know, like I said, I think that SFL had it from the beginning, and we just kind of adapted, but every school is having to deal with all that in the IEPs. And, and like I said, the mental illness. And, and the thing that concerns me with this uh, virus and the thing is that the children are not in school because some of their only safe place and peace that they have is at school. And for them to be in a constant atmosphere where parents are sick or parents are addicted or abusive or not uh, able to really give them the nutritional, you know, yeah. nutrition that they, I mean, they would come to school in the morning so hungry and, you know, say, okay, baby, go in there and get your breakfast. You know, you fed them breakfast, you fed them lunch. And a lot of times you made sure they had something to go home with so that they had something for dinner. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I don't know what's going to happen when this is all over with the, you know, that population of children that are just, you know, they're safe. Uh, place was school. The the the, yeah. the one positive thing that they had was school or sports or the arts or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It was the one thing they had to hang on to. And um and as I told uh, my teachers, I said, you stay in contact with those children. Ask them how they're doing. You know, I had to call DHR all the time. Please check on this child. Something's not right. 
you know, I don't know. It's just, you know, it's, it's very, it, it would keep you up at night, you know, just worrying about families and children and, and what's going on. And, and then you're trying to educate and making sure that these children are on grade level and reading and fluent and, right. you know, so, you know, that kind of thing. It's just, it's so much more than opening a book and teaching something now. Right. Well, I also think to your point that I think it's taken for granted often just how much teachers know and acknowledge and kind of absorb from their children's lives. Because I, I can speak from experience, I, as a student, didn't realize how involved you guys were with our child drama <laughs> in our lives mm-hmm. and our you know, mm-hmm. habits and histories. But I think it's, you take for granted how much, how much you pay attention, how much you know about these kids, how much you, you see of their habits and their routine. And to, to watch that get sidetracked is, has got to be so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you think, how do you think that being a parent has influenced your teaching style? And then how do you think that teaching has influenced you being a parent? Well, I I think that um, being a stay-at-home mother for their formative years was uh, a blessing, you know. And then to have them at the school with me, Mm -hmm. um, they, they went through, you know, ASFL. And then, you know, I was pretty aware of, you know, what was going on. And, and I think pretty much they didn't want to embarrass me, you know? Oh, yeah. But I mean, and if they did, you know, it was just like they would be so, you know, horrified. Oh, you know, so, you know, I think that kind of... are always so well behaved, too. Like, not really that they had any other choice. They were sweet kids, but they couldn't, they couldn't dare step out of line. You know, but I think that... um, I had to put so many hours and so uh, so much of myself into the children uh, for these last 30 years that I felt like I hadn't really um, given my family what um, I really, you know, should have, you know, and, 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 and I just thank God that they even turned out right because I'm telling you it was an all consuming, you know, uh, career. I mean, it just was. And especially when I went into administration and I loved what I did and I loved the children and I loved the relationships and I loved every minute of it. I really did. I mean, it was just so wonderful. And I thank God that that woman came up to me and said, you need to go. I would have never, I would have never ever, ever, ever uh, going into education. I mean, I was able to go, I went to China and stayed there for a month. I mean, I've been all over this country with children with triple AHP. I did things that no other educator could even have imagined, you know? I mean, it just yeah. has been so phenomenal for me. But I knew uh, I have 10 grandchildren now. And I said, you know, oh I my God. Uh, yes, I can't yeah, believe it. <laughs> Came with four. We ended up with Debbie five. Uh, oh there, was, there were six of us when we came. There's now 20 of us. And it's now time for me to, you know, spend time 
with my grandchildren and get to really know them and put some of that into my family that I've put into so many others. Oh my gosh. So that, you know, that's where I am right now in my life. Definitely. I mean, Mm -hmm. you've had had an impact on thousands of children at this point. Thousands. Well, you know, I had to, um, I had a bone spur um, in, um, July, you know, when I retired and I had to have uh, surgery and um, my doctor, after the surgery and I went back for the post uh, opera, whatever you call it. And I went in and she said, she said, Mrs. West, she said, um, I want to tell you something. She said, um, I was in that operating room with four uh, assistants. And she said, uh, when I you know, they brought you in. And she said, one young lady said, that's my son's principal. That's Mrs. West. (laughs) And then she said, the next person said, no, she was my sixth grade teacher at ASFF. (laughs) And then the other young lady said, that's Mrs. West. That's a killer. She was my best friend in high school. (laughs) She said, every one of them (laughs) <laughs> she said, you're sound asleep. And they talked about you the whole time. <laughs> now, that's totally amazing. And I just looked at her and she said, Mrs. West, I have never had an experience like that. <laughs> that's so true. She said, I knew I better take good care of you. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people are going to be very disappointed. If yeah. you something I said, now, that's amazing. I said, that's totally amazing. That's got to be one of the most gratifying kind of. Yeah, really. And, you know, I have students that will contact me on Facebook and thank me or say something. Do you remember this or can you? And I'm just like, wow. I mean, I couldn't have asked for more. Yeah. Obviously, social media has changed the way all of us interact, especially during these uncertain mm-hmm. times. But how do you think social media has changed like the teacher student relationship. I went through a few years ago, I went through, I went home for Christmas and I went through all of my ASFL yearbooks. Like Mm -hmm. they were paper and like the size of a notebook. (laughs) And I typed in everybody's name through all of my classes into Facebook. And I found as many people as possible. And I mean, and we're still friends. I'm, you know, we don't talk a lot, yeah. but there's a group on, on Facebook that's all the ASFL people. And every now and then there'll be like a picture that comes up or a story. Mm-hmm. And we're all still connected in such a way that it makes me feel that they're still a part of my, my world. Yes. Uh, so I, I assume that social media has changed the teacher-student relationship. Oh, yes. While yes. you're in school and after. Yeah. And you have to be very careful as a professional. And I used, I had told my teachers, you know, you really need to be careful what you post or what you're saying. Right. And um, I really try very hard to, to be have inspirational things and positive things and things that, you know, people can use. And, yeah, um, and, and if they read it, that it's going to make them feel better, you know, right. Um but I have uh, had so many people contact me and befriend me and stuff. And it's just the coolest thing to see them grow up and um, and what they're doing. And it's just like, you know, something that, you know, you never would have experienced in years past. So it's just really, really, really kind of cool. It's cool. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of messed up stuff going on in the world, but there's also a lot of great 
we've had a chunk of really great time. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for you to contact me. I said, so great. Wow. You know, so cool, you know. And I said, yeah. you know, um, I couldn't get connected. I had to get my granddaughter to get me connected. I mean, but uh, it's just hey, really- we've come a long way since the days of microfish. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> But, you know, even with this whole thing that the kids, the teachers now have to do virtual learning, I believe it's going to change education again. I don't think there's going to be snow days. Yeah. I don't think they're going to miss school for sickness and right. stuff. I think you're going to be able to keep things moving. I think it's going to change the face of education again. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to change the face of a lot of things, including the way people communicate, the way people you know, stay connected and mm-hmm. work from wherever. Even the way people work. If you can work from home, right? you know, I, mean, I think it's just going to change a lot of things, you know, just this experience that we're having. But I do feel like education is going to change again. Yeah. Um, okay. I promised I would ask what are the top three books in educational literature that are important um, for kids and for adults as well and why? Um, I think for uh, for educators, it is climate building and, and team building. Any any book that uh, shows, it, you know, if you don't have a happy building, if you don't have a uh, teams working like we did at ASFL and really care about one another, because you, they're not just four teachers or four subjects or four grade levels or whatever. They're human beings that are having their own personal trials and tribulations. And if you don't have a friendly building of caring adults, you can't help children. So I always, you know, try to read uh, things on um, climate building and relationship building and and making a happy building. Because if you don't hear laughter in the hallways, then you you've got uh, a toxic environment that learning isn't, you know, really going to be the best, uh, you know, that it could be. I also think that um, reading um, on every grade level, including high school, is important. Um, anything, especially for those students that uh, are strugglers. And uh, every teacher needs to make sure that they are, you know, doing some kind of reading so that students, you know, are able to open up a world uh, to them that, you know, and and, and become a lifelong uh, learner and a reader because uh, if you can't read, then you're going to you're going to struggle. Yeah. You're going to struggle. So I like um, like I was a reading coach once again, and, and and being a principal, I tried very hard to just have a happy building that you know was working and uh, making sure you know we, we. I sang to the children in the morning. It's going to be the best day of our lives, and in the afternoon. Aww. We talked about, uh, I'm just, you know, I would just find a positive song and sing to them every afternoon and celebrate something that I saw in that building. And if you just do that, uh, you will find that uh, it'll all take care of itself. It'll take care of itself. So it just like I said, I've had one of the uh, greatest careers that I could have asked for and only because I listed and only had like 30 or 40 minutes to decide and with that decision... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was a good one. <laughs> yeah. 
That may have been the best the best uh forty minute decision you've ever made. <laughs> I kept saying, No, 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 I don't think uh no, 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 no. And I could have said no and I would have ended up a, a certified public accountant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think your your life would have been a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> What are you looking forward to next? Now that you're retired and can just spend time with your grandbabies. Uh, I, you know, I look forward to um, really spending time with my husband and my family. And, um, you know, and, and once again, God gave me this wonderful, wonderful idea to work with uh, my granddaughter, uh, Kiera, and uh, my daughter, Debbie. We're, we do generational sheet in and we just do a little YouTube channel on just oh, things that, you know, we're interested in and doing. They, they, they made me over trying to help me look better. And they, <laughs> you know, they just laugh at me. And it's just three generations and how we interact and, uh, are, you know, and, and, and one thing they make fun of me is the technology. They always are trying to get me, as she laughed at me as I tried to get on this technology with you, we could have just <laughs> did this thing as our little channel. <laughs> so, you know, just doing things with my family and, um, uh, the uh, principal at um, Mountain Gap asked me to come and, and work with uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade students that were behind in reading. And I, so I was volunteering and doing that, which was another, you know, thing that just was very, until this whole pandemic things happened. But right. I'm just, you know, uh, taking it day by day and doing what I want to do. And if, if it's something they yes. want to do, and I said, I say, no, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> no thanks no it's great it's just been great it's it really has I'm so happy for you I'm so proud of your your career and your accomplishments I'm so honored that I was a part of it for as many years and I want to thank you so much for coming today and figuring out the technology <laughs> um <laughs> For being, you know, you were so prevalent in so many of my memories from growing up. And I'm sure the lessons that I learned from you extend far further than history and spelling and curriculum that you learn in school. I learned a lot from uh, from watching you interact with everyone around you. So I want to thank you so much for that. And thank you, Brie. I really appreciate that. I really do. Aww. Well, it was wonderful talking to you. Please tell Sam I said hi. It's wonderful talking. And you know, another thing I remember about you, Brie, I remember you winning the contest when they had a uh, to name a street, and you oh my god, a cleaner way, and you got a a, a computer. Your classroom. I remember those things. And like I said, I just remember, I remember you as being a, a wonderful, wonderful child. You really were. You were a delight. You really were. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that that is your overriding, uh, <laughs> your overriding impression. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was that was good times. A cleaner way, BFI recycling. A cleaner way. See, I remember those things. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Yeah.
Uh, well, thank you so much, Priest. Good hearing from you. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. There it is, episode three of the Research Project. If you've made it this far, then that means we've launched and episodes one, two, and three are live now. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone who helped get this project started. I hope you guys are enjoying. We have so much more in store in the upcoming episodes. If you liked it, please go subscribe on all of your podcast listening platforms. Like it, rate it on iTunes. It helps out a lot. I can't wait to share what's coming up next. Please follow us at Breesearch on Instagram or my personal is Breecube. And I look forward to seeing you guys next time.